I can't come here and die. I can't come here and lose. Got all this shit on my mind. Like, what the fuck I'm a day? Work ain't paid me in time. My baby just ripped me my mood. Her too just cut off my line. Hi, guys. And welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Jade. And I'm Ez. We're going to talk about SARS, but also have a general conversation about like resistance like engaging in political resistance protest obviously super pertinent because of the things that happened in Nigeria last week by the time you guys are listening probably two weeks ago now also there's a lot going on in the UK as well particularly around the Black Lives Matter movement and the government slowly cracking down on like not allowing people to show affiliation so they're cracking down on schools the language and the resources that schools use they're cracking down at the BBC so there's just a lot going on opening question what form of political protest or resistance have you engaged in do you know that I actually can't think of any that I've engaged in ever so I have never been to a protest I've definitely written to people actually so yeah maybe I'm lying I've definitely written to people and advocated for different things I think most recently I have been at the forefront of advocating for people at work all of the people that do my role at work I've been at the forefront of advocating for better working conditions but that definitely feels really small scale compared to what we're talking about and what we've seen recently only thing I can really think of to be quite honest with you but in terms of protesting and like being really engaged in that I'm not as much as I my field is politics I'm not really on that I'm not even gonna lie I like studying it in that but what about you? I'm bare smiling because it's bare like <laughs> I think of the two of us you'd be the one to write to people and I'd be the one to be out protesting I've never <laughs> ever thought about writing to anyone ever in my life to say what <laughs> like um <laughs> to say what like what are you saying to them man? <laughs> like yo <laughs> give us our tins <laughs> um, that is very funny that is very funny but they like that kind of stuff though yeah, they, they like it. They like that kind of... Even yeah, one senior manager yeah. don't even be asking me that about, oh, you know, you're very intelligent. And, you know, like, I'm not being patronising or anything, but have you ever considered doing something else in this organisation? Yeah. It's so funny. I have protested quite a bit. Well, my last protests were, I think it was 2018. Save Trade Happened in Libya was my last protest I attended. I said to myself, I'm not doing this again unless it feels like I'm, there's going to be a win off the back of it. I was willing to protest for the SARS staff before I came away. So I'm, in, I'm actually in Nigeria at the moment. And there was one demonstration that happened before I'd left the UK that I was willing to go to, but like schedule-wise it didn't work out. And I was willing to go to it because I believed that support from the international community would create some version of a shift and accountability on the ground in Nigeria. So that's the only reason that I was willing to go to it. But Beyond that, I said to myself that I'm not going to protest again. I really enjoy protesting. I really enjoy being out there. I really enjoy chanting. I really enjoy like the sense of solidarity. I really enjoy like the vibes. I really enjoy a space to like express anger, rage in a somewhat contained way. Disruption, like that's kind of my sentiment. That's what I'm on. So in terms of like enjoying it, I definitely enjoy it. But there's also the other side of it where it's like, I feel quite drained by it, following it. It doesn't always feel effective, is the truth. So in as much as like, I can see the personal kind of gains and solidarity, yada, yada, yada. I think that um, I would only protest now if I could like be like, okay, this is going to support a win, as opposed to I'm just going to represent this issue. The only protest that I ever felt really like I wanted to go to or I would have been involved in probably was the Black Lives Matter one this year 
or the Black Lives Matters ones, actually, because there was several, there were several. But I just feel like I'm just way too emotional. I can imagine the outpouring of emotion that would come up, that it would like rouse and um, doing that. And I mean, I trust that. I mean, I feel like I see that we collectively hold one another as black people, um, as a community. So I feel like I will be held, but it just feels really strange to me. I don't think I'm used to, or I don't think it's part of my thing to have an outpouring of emotion in front of strangers. That's really interesting. I think that actually that's something that you would really, in my experience of protesting, probably benefit from the sense of like solidarity with strangers. And actually in the London context, usually black, white, brown, all sorts of people that are there usually in protests that I've been to. It's amazing. It's an amazing feeling that we're all here for this cause. In saying that, actually, so I'm reading Shauna O'Brien's book at the moment, Moments of Significance, and she talks quite a bit about, like, protest and resistance, actually, in her book. In some of the chapters, she talks about being at protests and having communal and collective experiences, basically, behind a cause. Sometimes it's very directly, sometimes kind of indirectly. And as I'm reading, I am thinking, this sounds lit. I see why people live their lives like that. So even like from the squatters movement, I see why people Mm -hmm. do that. Do you know what I mean? I had Mm -hmm. a teacher that Mm -hmm. squatted for like years. And seeing him as a teacher, he was head of sixth form actually, not at my school, but another school. He was obviously all suited and booted every day. And I was just thinking, how was you squatting? But reading Shauna's book, I'm just like, this sounds lit, bruv. So yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Big up Shauna, by the way. Everyone should buy the book. It's amazing. I would strongly recommend. But yeah, I was going to say, I was just saying that you're catching joke. You're feeling held. You're crying. If this, if it gets to that, if you're there in that space, you're just, it's just a share. It's a collective experience. And it is a middle finger, man. For me, like whenever I'm at protest, it's just a middle finger that, the Libya ones, I will just remember, but I had to just stop myself because I was thinking I, I can't lose my DBS today because me, I get too excited, isn't it? <laughs> but I was just like, we're blocking the roads. Yeah, we're going to just block the road. Yeah, we're just going to block the blood clout road and there's nothing. And it's like, we're furious and we're the disruption. And to be like that, and that's why I think this is probably why I've stopped protesting because I think somebody else will come and tell a different, more put together reason why they protest but for me it's just a sheer disruption it is like I am going to fuck something up like I'm going to disrupt I'm going to people are good I, I feel every day in my life I feel pain I feel rage I feel what it is to belong to the quote-unquote underclass like I am going to disrupt use of sphere of existence and you're going to feel a fraction of what I feel in my day-to-day life and it's legal it's legal to do this one so I can't punch you up anymore I can't do things that as <laughs> of as of 12 years ago would have been doing but this one I can do and I'm gonna do and you're gonna feel something it's my main motivation yeah I hear you it's so funny because obviously as I'm reading Shauna's book some of the things that she talks about are really far removed from me so I think one or two of the protests that she talks about or mentions I can think of like oh yeah I like that's connected to me in some way so I think one of them was like an austerity one which was probably at the end of uh, Gordon Brown's Labour government that was probably a protest or whatever So I think she spoke about that, but then she was speaking more to like the squatters movement, essentially like, so yeah, squatters. And that was obviously a resistance against the government, but it was a different time. She's writing about it. And I'm just thinking this sounds lit and yeah, it's a resistance in that, but it also speaks to my, the rock star life that I like. (laughs) And um, I just think if it's not overly emotional for me then it feels like it's on the other end of the spectrum which is we're just a rock star and we're having a good time we're gonna drink and enjoy and just live outside of normal structures maybe that feels wrong to me but then I guess that also speaks to how much I'm plugged into the matrix maybe even this idea of that feeling wrong that I I hear you and I think 
it's really interesting. I just know you and I know our temperaments are really different in this way, in that that I can imagine that feeling very wrong. Yeah. But I could also imagine you gaining so much from the experience of that. Because it's, it's for me, every process I've been to, every single one I have been to, there's been like it's a roller coaster it's a journey so it's not just the rock star bit and it's not just the tears and it's not just and to be honest there's been some that I've been more connected to than others or there's that I remember when we were doing bring back our girls that that was and that I was part of I was volunteering with an organization at the time that was very much part of like organizing and there was so there was more of a sense of responsibility than like I usually have at protests at that protest or those protests basically depending on the cause but the point that I guess I'm making is that there is like it's not one thing the common thread in all of my experiences is community collective care looking at the ways in which this amount of people are feeling something akin to what I'm feeling and we're standing up for that and I think there's so much power in that there's so much power in that I think obviously like there's different ways to protest there's different ways to resist so it's not everyone's thing and to be honest it's not even my thing anymore to be out in the street is not really my thing anymore but I just think yeah I think that there's so much power and solidarity and healing just so much from my experiences of being in those spaces but obviously this conversation has come off the back of what's happening in Nigeria at the minute in relation to SARS. It's a branch of the police that came about in the 90s, I believe, as a direct response to a rise in that armed robbery and crime. They basically have like borderline military power that like they basically can just do what they want. Like they essentially they can do what they want. They don't wear uniforms, that like achieves their means by any like achieves their goal by any means necessary, essentially. Over time, they have just grown to be government-sponsored bandits. They can do anything. So I have got family and friends who have lost people to the hands of SARS, that people, they will just kill you and they'll tell you that I'll waste you here and there's nothing you can do about it. I have had interactions that not, and think I'm really, really grateful that I've not, I don't really have no personal like mad stories, but I've seen that people get slapped up in that or just just mad things like the, the level of, and they'll target you for like having an iPhone, having a MacBook, driving a nice car, looking good, um, having locks, having tattoos, any loose stereotypical attachment to a crime, fraud, anything. They'll target you for that. Um, I was with my uncle today. He was telling me, and he lived in, I think it was Finland for about 15 years or something. And he, his first encounter with that, when he just got back to Nigeria, he had 150,000 Naira in cash because obviously he hadn't set up a bank account yet. So he was driving his car, had just got back that week, had 150,000 Naira in cash, was stopped by them. They took his phone and that's, that's like one of the um, tactics that they use to take your phone straight away so you can't contact anybody. They took his phone, took him to the police station. They were like, why have you got this much cash? You must be a criminal. He was like, no, I've just come from abroad. Like, I don't have a bank out yet. That like, I'm just going back to the east. Long story short, drove him to one next ends. One who was in cells. And they were basically just like, listen, it's up to you. Like, we can put any charge in your head right now. We can say murder. We can say anything. So it's up to you. You give us the cash or not. And he gave, obviously gave the cash, but that even his scenario is is a fortunate one because like I've heard stories or read stories on Twitter or whatever of like just mad, 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 mad situations where that like, people are asked to give that like, stupid amounts of money, where people have sold property and land to acquire money to bail people out, and still people have been at the hands of of these government-sponsored thugs. So that is a backstory and for context um, 
of why the protests are happening. So there's been protests in Nigeria, there have been protests internationally, quote-unquote NSARS is, is the mantra at the moment, um, because people have had enough, essentially. Yeah, it's mad. It's so mad. We obviously spoke in episode, I can't remember what number it was, but our experience in Nigeria with the police, that was scary. That was so scary. But that was nothing compared to the horror stories that I'm seeing people that relay in on social media. And even I remembered like a really serious horror story that you, one of your cousins actually relayed. I don't know if you were there, but he relayed a proper horror story. Then I, I realized that it was SARS that he was talking about. So this just sounds like a mad thing. So I think that generally like Nigerian police are scary and not to be messed around with, but this is another level. And I think as much as we have negative experiences here in the UK, we don't like the police typically. We don't find them helpful, but this is another level. This is actually like lawlessness. There's the rule of law does not stand up. The rule of law isn't standing up. And I don't think that people deep it. So even when I was, I was speaking to somebody actually about what was going on in Nigeria and they were just sort of like, oh, but that, but this happens though, they're Jamaican. And they were just like, oh, but like, yeah, but Jamaican police, da, da, da. And I was like, no, 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 no. The degree to which the rule of law is not standing up there, it's, I don't think it's comparable to Jamaica anyway. And not to say that like, I know proper fugs and that in Jamaica, I'm sure that there is definitely police corruption and all of that kind of stuff. But this is a mad thing where your citizens, you're killing your citizens on, on this level. Yeah, it's mad. See, you were there last week. What happened? Hmm. Um, it's this <laughs> uh last week, Tuesday, so the 20th of October. I'm going to tell the story from my perspective. So what happened was it was a normal Tuesday. Things were going as they were going in. I was staying in Ikoi, which is a part of Lagos. It's a part of the island. I was staying in Ikoi, and then um, I was going to come to visit my family in Leki At around 12 o'clock noon, um, it was announced that there was going to be a curfew. It was going to be a 4pm curfew. So since being in Nigeria, there had been protests had been going in since being in Nigeria. So movement was slow, like the atmosphere, the vibe. So obviously we came to bury my ex's mum and there were things that needed to be done. The burial was happening on the mainland. We're staying on the island. Two different occasions we tried to go to the island. There is no movement. That is not happening roads are closed, everybody's one day surrounded our car and on a normal day they will harass you but they weren't even on a harassment team, too tough, just that it was a small little bribe and done because it, it genuinely the atmosphere in the city was like we're hit, there's a common goal, there's a common goal right now. It felt bizarre that to the point where me and my ex's dad were like every day we was just like they're sending the military, they are there's no like I've never felt Lagos like this I've never felt Lagos like this truth be told I have never that it was so number one roads were open uncharacteristically that there was not traffic on a mad thing apart from the days where we were trying to go to the mainland or go far so number one there was like not much traffic so as in people weren't really out like that just people weren't really out like Lagos is a very busy city like very very busy and it was just, a, it felt so, literally from landing in the airport, like it felt significantly calmer, quieter than I've ever thought or experienced Lagos to be. I kept saying it. I literally kept saying it. I was like, they're going to send the military because the government have been too quiet. Yeah, cool. So Tuesday's come now. I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go and check my cousins and that. They're in Lekki, which is another part of the island. And I'm just like, okay, cool, gonna go and check them. This curfew's announced at about midday. So 4 p.m. curfew's announced at about midday. Again, that is in and of itself, it was suspicious to me because it was like Lagos is a, 
is a city where it can take you four hours to get down the road and I'm not even exaggerating that it can take you four hours to get to do a you could a 30 minute journey can literally take you four hours on a normal day just on a normal day in it so you're announcing the governor's announced a, a curfew and giving people four hours to get home or to whatever so I was like I smell a rat something is going on yeah cool Anyway, I've made it to Lecky, and at about 7pm that evening, truth be told, the military attended to peaceful protest where people were literally sitting on the floor, singing the national anthem, holding their flags. It was a peaceful protest, that one I can testify to from like seeing it with my eyes. The military opened fire on its citizens and killed like there's no there's no confirmation on numbers so for some people I'm hearing 20 something from some people I'm hearing 70 something but like if there's no like official number um of of deaths I had the shots from where I'm staying if if literally like around the corner from the toll gate where this happened and I was watching on Instagram live DJ Switch, um, who's a DJ, and she was recording all of it. So she was recording it all. She, there was like, she was recording the dead bodies, like literally seeing it live around the corner. I'm hearing shots, I'm hearing commotion. I mean, this from the bottom of my heart, yeah. My world view changed and I'm not ignorant and I'm not someone that doesn't know about this shit and like I said I was saying from my from my landed in the country I was saying they're going to send the military because I've, I've read Nigerian history and I know I know this government so it wasn't even a shock to me that they sent the military but the way everything transpired my world view has changed I cannot describe the level of that powerlessness rage, pain that I experienced that evening and the days to follow because what the actual fuck what the the actual fuck is that like what is that what is that, how and like backstory so it came out that afternoon people had gone and taken away the CCTV from the from the toll gate. People had dimmed the light. So it was a very like thought out and planned, executed massacre of peaceful protesters. I'm never, I don't, I'm never gonna get over it. It's not, it's not something that's ever gonna make sense to me how this is happening in 2020. And like we'll get into it more and more through the episode. I don't want to talk too much about from my lens but how like this is happening in a world in this world in this city um at this time to me it proper just speaks to like the colonial hangover and the way that black lives do not matter they don't they don't so all of this we can George Floyd we can march we can talk about all this progress that's happening in the West or alleged progress that's happening in the West. But on the continent, the country that I'm from, like this can just happen. This is just got this happened last week, Tuesday, what, 10 days down, and Lagos is back to normal. Things are things are moving. The world is moving. The international community is moving on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, one two process here or there, but nobody has been held to account. I don't, I'm not hopeful that anybody will be held to account. And this is this is one small experience. This is one really small experience of what's been happening in Nigeria for since colonialism. Um, this is a tiny example of what happens on the continent. There's there's countries that I can. Do you know what I mean, what's happening in Congo? What's happening? Like there's so every country on this continent at the moment has got their story. Do you know what I mean? And these are like these things are happening year by year. These things are happening and. The world moves. Nobody knows. Nobody really cares. And if it wasn't for social media, no one would even know that what's happening, what's going on. And I think it just brought up a new, 
it's not new, but it renewed my rage in relation to like whiteness, white supremacy, um, international relations, um, and just yeah, the, the the structure, the current, the existing structure of the world. There's so many things that you've said in in everything that you just relayed that are just so speak to how crazy the situation is. So. I think when you say that, like, oh, you could hear the shots you were, that you were around the corner, I don't think people are deep in how close you are, that it's like you can walk to where this thing took place, but you were safe in that they were not going to come to that residential area where people that have a particular quality of life can afford to live they're not gonna come there and do anyone anything. You can literally be so close, like you're so close to it, but you were safe, you were all right. Nothing was gonna happen to you. I think that that is crazy. I think that that is crazy that three minutes down the road, people were being unlawfully and insidiously killed for protesting peacefully they were singing the national anthem, they weren't singing fuck the government or fuck the police or anything like that. And that the people that live around the corner that have a particular quality of life were still safe. I think that that is mad. And I don't think that we, like these are just part and parcel of the little things that we proper don't deep or we like, yeah, that we don't zoom in on. I think that that is crazy. So I, I've had bare conversations at work given this context. I've got a few colleagues, like one from Nigeria and then two from Ghana. One is young, the other two are not. Um, so the two Ghanaian ones are not young. And then the one that's Nigerian is young. And she was really hopeful. So before this happened on the Tuesday, the week prior we were at work and she was so hopeful. She was proper like, yeah, these protests, like something got to happen, like something's got to change that like the amount of young people that are out there protesting, this has to signal some semblance of change. And when I say she's Nigerian, she wasn't born here or anything. So she's got like, her mum is in Nigeria, all of that. She's schooled there and everything like that. She was really hopeful. But one of my colleagues in particular, he was like, nothing's gonna change, bruv. Like it's, in, it's not in anyone's interest. No one of enough importance it's not in their interest for anything to change systemically, so it is not going to change. There is nobody out there protesting that has enough money to influence any semblance of change. So things are not going to change systemically. Um, and them two really got into it. And she was really like upset at what he was saying. I could just proper see both points in the sense that like, I feel having like read and studied formally the continent and whatever, I feel like in the case of Nigeria, the majority of the population is young people. And I just think that demographically there is like, this is fertile soil for some kind of revolution, basically. You've got a lot of young people in the population. There are things like social media, which helps movements and causes to gain traction outside of the parameters of the state. Another thing as well about Nigeria, I feel that we saw with this protest or that we're seeing with this particular protest and the system more generally is that there are young people who are also willing not to plug into the matrix, the quote unquote matrix that has existed post-colonial Nigeria since independence. And um, I think that once you kind of are plugged in systemically, have a part to play in the system, but you also benefit from it. And I just think that there are a lot of young people that are willing not to plug in, basically. It's not about a willingness or lack thereof. They are even more than willing to. They're even begging to. There's no opportunities to plug in. There are a cohort of human beings, and actually the majority of, of, of human beings in this country do not have access to the matrix. They don't have access to their basic human rights and needs that they don't have access to. They're just hustling. They're just finding their way. If not, if there's nothing to lose, essentially, for that cohort of, of human beings. There's nothing to lose because like, I'm even trying to get in. You are not letting me in. Okay, what do I do now? But yeah, I say all of that to say 
there are definitely, I think theoretically, all of the elements for revolution to ensue, for there to be like resistance and a strong resistance to the status quo. But also I hear my Ghanaian colleague, I hear him, I definitely hear him. I can't even remember, but he was just like, there are certain young people that can't be there because their dads at work, they will be telling his dads, make sure your you is not caught protesting there. It's cyclical. There's this colonial hangover and it's a tension between the old and the new. I don't know which one's going to win. I don't know which one's going to prevail. I don't know enough about resistance and the history of revolution to say like, to say much more about the factors that are going to lead to something changing. But there are definitely factors. There are definitely factors there that could see something really change there. Um, And the hope is that it will. The hope is that it will. Yeah, I don't know either. So on the Wednesday I went out. So I was then in this like, what do I do? Like, what do I do? Because I'm here. Number one, I'm here for a particular reason. Number two like what is effective right now so I was proper deliberating not really sure what to do like trying to plug into like local groups that were organizing but couldn't really gauge over so that spoke to one or two people that I know were out protesting that evening in terms of like being politically engaged it felt like they were attending the protest, but they didn't really know that like, who's organising what or what's going on. So it didn't really feel like, okay, this is a productive way to engage through these people. So I was just trying to figure out what, what's going on, essentially. And then I was just hung up on that. Do I go? Do I not go? Like, what's, what, does, like, what does this mean? I did go out on the Wednesday. And only briefly... My process to that place of that, oh, I'm going to go out and protest. My process was that so interesting for me. And I saw the different layers. So, for example, you mentioned that I'm three minutes down the road and essentially was quote unquote safe. There were layers to it. So, like the class system in Nigeria, which is a whole other podcast episode. But um, there were like, so for example, me with my accent me that is very clearly like not raised here I think most people as I'm walking down the street will be able to gauge that I'm not necessarily based here or raised here um and gauge what class of quote I'm I'm using big quotations because I have a whole other complex about my class when I'm in Nigeria but that's another conversation as well but will gauge my class um there is like connotations to that in the pro- in in the protest space. So it's in as much as I think the days leading to the massacre, everyone and anyone that was politically on board with the cause went and showed their face. And again, it was peaceful protests. I mean, there was food being provided at these protests. Like there was like a running joke, like what we haven't fit in at like, the protest. Like if you want to eat, go. Like there was like it was very much a, like a peaceful environment so in terms of like class mixing was happening there I think after the massacre so there was looting there was like there was looting like cars were burned um protesters um reacted um and I think that there were real real implications for people that could be perceived to be not working class quote-unquote and part of the struggle um and questions around safety um on from from both government or whoever police as well as um, fellow protesters that and that is a whole other conversation but I think that um when I went out on Wednesday I was just weighing up what my place is what is an effective use of my energy time and pain because me being me like and I think and I said this to a friend of mine that everyone's like are you scared are you scared are you scared the thing that I was scared of in truth yeah was the fact that I'm going out like I'm I was scared of myself essentially I was scared of the fact that like 
I'm gonna I'm gonna be there and I don't know what I'm gonna do when I'm there and I don't know and I know my temperament and I know and not even like there was so much fear I'm never gonna sit here and be like oh that yeah but but I guess the thing that I was most afraid of was that in spite of the danger and it was a real date like there's real danger it's not joke it's not a joke thing do you know what I mean in spite of that my legs are still carrying me there my legs are still all my I'm still figuring out how to plug into this and that's a very scary thing that when there's an option to essentially there's an option to tap out but it's like I, my spirit wouldn't allow me to um and I don't know where that will lead me and the the risk here is very high when I did go out it was it didn't feel worth my time is the truth. So it didn't feel like, um, it didn't feel worth my time. And it felt like there was, I was engaging with a dangerous environment and it wouldn't be an effective use of my, my time. So I wasn't there for long, came back. But um, I basically could gauge and feel. And, and again, so like a lot of my friends here and this is no shade to anybody in the international community that's been out protesting or like that's been supporting the cause via social media because I do think that all of these things contribute to what could potentially be like you've described a revolution or change right but everybody here well, most of my friends here are just like why are people in London protesting? like what are you protesting for what are your friends doing out there um what do they plan to gain from it? What's the risk? What are they giving up? Because, Omar, this is our lives. It's, that's what it basically is coming for them. It's like, this is our lives. This is like every single person that I know that is beneath the age of 30 has got a story to do with SARS or to do with the police. Every single person that I know. Every single person that I know. And for them, it's very much like, and I, I could just see myself, I could catch myself not wanting to do this, this Western saviour. Oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be on the streets and I'm going to stand in solidarity because it's like, is that even what people are asking from me? Is that even going to be effective right now? It was, a, it is, not it was, because it's still, essentially it's still happening, but it is a really difficult position to hold where it's like, what is actually effective? And I guess there's also me just seeing my privilege. So everybody that went out to protest in London or the States or Canada or wherever, big up you, man, and big, genuinely big up you, man. And like I said, I feel like this is one, this is one cause that I would be out in London protesting for because I think that there's a level of Nigerian government knowing that the international community are watching is in some way, shape or form a impacting to some level the way that they're engaging with their citizens I truly believe that so I think it's effective and I think it's important but then at the same time I fully hear what my friends here are saying which is there's no risk there you go you protest you, you bust joke you chant you pray you do what you're doing you go home to your central heated homes where electricity is running you go to work the next day your life moves, our lives, our lives don't. And that is like, that is interesting. It's just interesting engaging with like the idea of privilege as a black working class girl. It's interesting engaging with my privilege in these ways, um, trying to understand it, trying to not run away from it, but also trying to think about effective ways to use it in this context. And I don't have answers. And I think my frustration, my pain, my like, whatever it, the depth of what I've felt in this period has been, has come from the fact that I don't really have answers. And that I am of a certain class in this, in this context. And that there is implications to somebody of this class in this context, engaging in specific ways. So it's just like, there's just a lot to think about and there's a lot to think through. Um, but I guess that's why it brings me to that place of real rage and like frustration in terms of the colonial hangover of on this continent and structures that are in place that just are not fair. Like I, I personally see SARS as a direct product of colonialism. I see it as a very like 
oh, that equals that. That's how I see it in my head. And like a lot of these fucked up structures on the continent, again, I see as a very like direct response product of a period of time where we didn't govern ourselves in the ways that was conducive to us spiritually, culturally. Us here in Britain. And also me personally, I wasn't doing anything. I'm not even going to lie. I wasn't doing anything in it because I think that in every action, so I think people were saying things on social media and showing support in solidarity via social media. People protested. People went out and protested. People went out in the rain. It was even raining, in fact, and protested. People also signing petitions. So creating and signing petitions online, asking the British government to put pressure, sanction the Nigerian government, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but for me personally, I just felt similar to what you were saying that people in Nigeria were saying. So I couldn't see how, apart from creating more awareness on social media, fair enough if you're retweeting and that, but going out to protest, I think that beyond it being like a very valid emotional outpouring for you and the way that you that you look to be held in this time of like sadness grief I couldn't see anything beyond that and then with the signing of the petitions and asking the British government to do anything I just thought the same colonial power the same power that created this basically the same force that created this we're calling on and I just felt like it was very counterproductive basically but also at the same time though I must say or Nigerian leaders knowing that Britain has its ear to or ears and eyes to what's happening I think you were right in what you said it must I feel like it did invoke some something I couldn't see for myself what signing the petitions in particular was going to do and I couldn't see beyond like personally what being at protests would do and I don't know if it if it was well thought out this this opinion that we should get the British government to do something yeah it's very interesting because I think that um being here I'm very much like I'm just in a weird space. I'm in a weird space. So on a normal day and like from a theoretical standpoint, I am very much like, don't get the West involved. We've seen what the West have done. This is actually a product of the West's involvement. Um, If they have sanctions, then that gives them an invitation to have power and then they're going to misuse that. That's all they've ever done on this continent. That's what they're going to continue to do. Cool. On the one hand, I'm there. Somebody tweeted and she was like, there is, I'm here with the colonizers. She's in London. She's like, I'm here with the colonizers and it's hell. But they don't shoot me in the street for peacefully protesting. She was that standing position. And fam, that when you take it outside of theory, yeah, when you take it outside of theory, and again, like, I'm, I know that I'm speaking from an emotional place, so I'm going to name that. that though. What do you mean? The colonizers don't shoot us here in the West in the street for peacefully protesting. So involve them in, the, in whatever, it, tell them to sanction, tell them to get involved in whatever. But they're it is. not going to go and govern them and stop shooting people. No, but the point, I've got, the point that she, I believe she was making is that western intervention will create a level of order that will provide certain human rights for the nigerian citizens and i i actually completely agree with that that on the on on the on level one so not like on a deeper level but on level one i think that there were certain things that there are certain things that if the international community are involved will not be happening in that certain things won't be happening in nigeria I hear that. I hear I hear the sentiment. So I even I feel like I hear the theory. <laughs> I hear the theory in what she's saying. But I just think the truth is that no, there has to be an interest in that level of 
of involvement for them to be involved that deeply for things an interest for who for the British government to get involved. No, but when that's not that's not what that's not what I'm talking to. Of course, so questioning the British government's motives is not what's happening. No, no, no. Yeah. Go on. The reason why I'm saying I feel like what she's saying is really theoretical because I think in practice that is also not going to happen unless there's a massive level of interest there. There's a real grounding reason why. Britain is going to get involved that deeply and I think that the truth and what we actually saw was that the Nigerian government is going to say what they need to say to get Britain to to pay lip service perhaps in the situation so actually I feel like there was narratives that oh we don't know what's going on in Nigeria because actually what was being reported by national media was that people were freeing prisoners (laughs) from prisons and that and that was frontal like full frontal news and I felt like that was say that was basically a message saying this is why they shot because you lot or the Nigerians were freeing prisoners and that and I just feel like on both ends it's just theoretical it's it's just theoretical like I hear you I I definitely I definitely do hear you I think that there are like just bare conversations. I do think that there are like so many conversations. And I think that when you're speaking from a position of like, this doesn't impact my life directly. And that's me speaking because I'm about to get on the plane back to the UK. Do you know what I mean? So when you're speaking from a position of like, this doesn't impact my life directly, it's really easy to theorize. And that's on both ends of the spectrum. And it's really easy to be like, Come from that righteous place of that are oh, the West are oh, the devils and that we know that in it <laughs> we know this this is not new but at the same time fam like what's the alternative what's the practical alternative and it's interesting because like aside from protesting so feminist coalition I believe they're called um were doing a lot of the groundwork and organizing and I am in awe of how effective they were. They accounted for every penny that was donated. They were getting like lawyers um, to people that were being arrested for protesting. Um, they were organizing ambulances. They were organizing just support on like so many levels. And it was a handful of like Nigerian women, I believe, that just got together and um, that mobilized essentially. And that would do- they did an amazing job. They did an amazing job. I think that there are ways that, so for example, donate us in the West donating to them, that's an effective way of, that's an effective use of our time because lawyers, transport, ambulances, yada, 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 that's, that's not free. Do you know what I mean? I think that there are like, there are ways that we can support local efforts um, at organising and like, and I did support in those ways as well, but There's also the question of like, so I'm going to just be so honest, yeah. I'm in Lagos still. This thing happened, what, 10 days ago. Lagos energy has gone back to normal, or is getting back to normal. And I think that part of like being Nigerian, something that I have seen time and time over about this, this, part of the world and these people is that they will manage they will find a way to manage government won't give them that it's fine we'll find gen there's no food it's fine we'll make something out of nothing we'll go like whatever it is this is a nation that every like my experience of this nation is that they will find a way to move forward and as beautiful and powerful as that is there's also in that for me, that is part of the breeding ground for government to continue to do what it's doing, because there's not the level of that resistance required that to put to pull through and to continue in the, the efforts that have been started. I don't know, and that in, even though something about this movement feels very different, and like something about it being so youth led, and young people being so tired, and like they're being like international influences so in terms of like social media and like just seeing like globalization seeing that these things have happened around the world I think that that is promising and that people can hold on to that and and young people in Nigeria so every day 
up until the massacre, I kept saying that I've never been more proud to be Nigerian. I've, and I mean it, like I've never been more proud to be Nigerian. Seeing the way that young people in this country have mobilized, have organized, have come out and that like, stood their ground. And it, that is actually cross-class. So that that up until the massacre, for me, it very much felt like everybody was standing up and saying the same thing, which is powerful from that there can be change. But then at the same time, I also know that this is a nation where people make make they move on. They 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 make something out of nothing. They take what they're given and they, they make lemonade in it. They make lemonade out of the lemons. And and I don't know what that means in this context. Um, I know that, like, for me, and I, I'm, again, like, very aware of, like, my, my privilege, my, and it makes me sick to even say it, but my Western lens, I'm very aware of, like, the ways that I'm detached from this movement in as much as, like, I feel emotively, like, very moved by what has happened. And very like it's changed my worldview. It's changed my worldview, or it's solidified something, or something in my spirit shifted that day. Something changed. I'm not the same person that I was before that day, um, because it's like seeing it firsthand, hearing it firsthand that Black lives don't matter. That's that's the, tr the truth and the reality of the matter is as the current structure of the world, the way things stand, they don't. And we can chant from now till kingdom come and we can protest and we can write banners and petitions and, they will, and we will have minor wins, but we still live in a world where this shit can happen. And for the most part, people, most, Gary don't know. Gary and fucking Luton don't know. Gary don't care. Do you know what I mean? The, like, majority of people don't, understand or accept the gravity of what's happening on this continent and i really want to highlight that this is a, a, a fraction that this is a tiny example of what happens day day by day on this continent in this country even this is like a very like and that's not to minimize what happened but this is like not this isn't this is business as usual this is not anything new facts and i think facts also speaks to the resilience of Nigerian people. I think that the thing that's, that hurt me so much, so my, anyone, if anyone wanted to ask me for like adjectives or how would I describe Nigerian people, my experience of Nigeria, the spirit of those people, yeah, banter. There was no banter um, last week. There was no no one was bantering everyone was so serious so all of that nigerian twitter i didn't see not one joke and that <laughs> that spoke to how serious this thing is but i say that to say it is a nation of resilient people who smile through suffering like as much as my memories of lagos are bare happy like bare happy I would say spare, like fun, all of this, all of that. But from Western me, British me, born and bred here, it's so stressful. Like getting through your day, getting through the things that you need to do is so stressful. And this is how Nigerian people live every single day of the week. And all I'm talking about is traffic and services, getting things done. It's like so stressful. But Nigerian people live it every day, every single day. They like, it's just a different resilience that I don't think I've seen anywhere else in the world. And I've been to, I've been to Latin America, I've been to the Caribbean. This is a different thing. Um, and yeah, yeah, well, fam, yeah, ma'am, yeah. There's a resilience that Nigerian people have. And I pray, I do pray that, that resilience doesn't need to be applied now to this to get over this that your military open fire on peaceful protesters on peaceful youth protesting shielded by the nigerian flag i don't know why i feel that to ask this but what is your hope for nigeria for nigeria specifically i think after my trip there my hope 
systems work that one day systems will work um in a more in a more fair and equitable way so i think um i remember one evening about gen about electricity in in nigeria because i couldn't und- i was thinking oh like what what's this gen thing and i think i had a conversation with someone and then later i thought let me google it and i found this paper that i read on electricity and i deeped things that i don't think i'd ever deeped in all of my years of studying about nigeria and about that situation and that opened my mind and my eyes to the wider situation in nigeria and how things work and how unfair unequal it is and how things work to aggrandize and like empower and continue to make rich a really tiny proportion of the population basically and so i think that at that time my hope for nigerians was just that one day nigeria will be a place that didn't operate like that that basic amenities like water electricity would be more equally fairly more broadly accessible that accessibility wouldn't be predicated on who can get paid who can eat off this who can be rich off this i don't know what my hope is for nigeria in all honesty that still does remain a hope but there is something that is really doing me about the fact that those people are singing the national anthem and holding the Nigerian flag while the military open fire. There is something in my spirit that every time my body goes cold, every time I think about it, every time I say it, there is something that goes cold in me. And it might be something around this attachment to, this pride or attachment to like, this thing that ain't working for us, this 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 system ain't protecting us. I don't know. I just think that everyone needs to get up from the table and everyone just needs to get up and just be like, fuck it. Because I think that there is still pockets of people that maybe live with the hope that it is going to work for them one day. They hold on to that. And I think that those are the people that also need to be on a fuck it thing. It can't just be area boys. It can't just be those that have nothing to lose. It's got to be everyone in it to turn over what still stands in the country, the way that the system works. I don't have hope for Nigeria right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have hope, fam. It's bare sad, but I don't have hope. I have bare anger for Britain, the West. Um, And I have things for them, man. So I've got like, in terms of where to focus my energy, right in this moment. And again, to be very honest with you, it changes day by day. Because I'm someone that that you can ask me tomorrow and I'll be like, yeah, Nigeria needs to be broken into for every tribe should take their own space then the day after I'm like oh one Nigeria we move like every single day I've got a different political vision for the nation um and all of them make sense there's a there's a method to all of that madness every single one of them um I don't know I I believe in my people I believe in the spirit of my people I believe in the youth of this nation what we've seen over the past few weeks is mind-blowing it's mind-blowing because the efforts are literally it's locals like if if it's something like if if, yeah it's mind-blowing it's your everyday joe blogs like it's your everyday joe blogs that is just saying i'm done i'm tired this isn't happening anymore on my watch um i went to get my nails done i think yesterday or day before and the guy that was doing my nails was like, listen, I'm, we're planning, like, we're planning. So he, he's, he's not giving up hope. Do you know what I mean? Um, I find it difficult because I think I always think on a, on a macro, macro as well as a macro level. So I'm always like, 
the nation isn't important enough to the world that pe- people in the world don't care about us here, them here. People don't care, do you know what I mean? Um, and until that happens, until, like, the way African lives are valued, even amongst the diaspora, so even amongst um, the African diaspora far and wide, until African lives on the continent are valued, because this is happening alongside this, there's stuff going on in Congo, alongside this, there's stuff going on in, where is it, Zim, I think, um, there was like there was so much that was going on over the past few weeks, and there's always so much that's going on. Do you know what I mean? Without the hashtags, without the Instagram lives or whatever it is that we've seen on social media, this is happening. So until people engage with life on this continent as valuable, and until life on this continent means the same thing as life in other parts of the world, and that actually. In as much as yes, we know that like black we, the Black Lives Matter movement is structured around the fact that black lives in the West don't mean as much as their white counterparts. Black lives in the West mean more than black lives on the continent. Um and until we start having those honest conversations, like I don't know. I don't know. And I can't have hope until until we start to acknowledge that and what that means. So I've got bare fire for the West. I've got bare fire for, for, for Britain. I've got bare fire for like the spaces that I find myself in. Because that I think that's the thing that shifted is that actually people need to understand what's happening on this continent. People need to to understand to start looking at their the, their lives and the connection that their lives have with the rest of the world. Um, so yeah I don't have hope right now today after tomorrow maybe I'll have but right now I don't have hope for for Nigeria I have anger I have rage I have ideas about how to effectively distribute this rage um to people and make them feel uncomfortable um so that they can potentially do something use their power to do something that may may shift power dynamics of, of international relations and global politics but yeah, that's where I'm at. The thing is, though, of all of the countries in on the continent, Nigeria matters the most, though. So the one of yeah, yeah. I, I, so I was going to liken it to Jamaica, but I think Jamaica contextually is like more bigger globally or seen as. So I think on the continent, we can also look at South Africa, for example, even Congo to some degree, like it is, it's big and it's important and what have you. Um, But Nigeria is like, it is the most important, one of the most important countries on the continent in so many different veins. It feels like, it feels like, yeah, it just feels like, if there is a country that is in crisis on the continent and is going to get the attention and get the traction and all of that, it is going to be Nigeria. And the fact that this is still the situation is a, is crazy, is, is mad, is so crazy. My hope remains from this might be the beginnings of almost everybody just unplugging from yeah man Nigeria's very own matrix essentially yeah I guess I have the same hope for for the UK that everybody will unplug from our own matrix and see our relationship to the continent and see the ways in which us being plugged into the matrix continues to enable this shit to happen here and it has direct there's a direct correlation um so I guess that's my hope and and I say I think I say that the place of powerlessness that I felt last week um and thinking about where my power does lie and where actually there are things what I can actually tangibly do with my power and with all of the, the stuff that I'm feeling, um, I think that that's an effective use of it. 
that's where I'm at. But again, like I said, it changes every day. I definitely feel traumatised. Definitely feel traumatised. And I think that's, again, I'm going to need to unpack in due time because it's like I'm here for a funeral. The circumstances for that are not even thick up. There's a lot going on. And then you get here and then this. In, in 2020, like a year that has taken so much from us all. Do you know what I mean? I, at the same time, I say that, and then I, I, I do think that it's very timely and very, like, on brand um, for the year that we're having. And I think that, that that brings me a sense of, like, hope. Spiritually, something shifting, I think. Anticipating, I guess, what's going to happen next. And I'm hopeful. Um, hopeful's not the word, but I trust the youth. I trust Nigerian youth. In, like, they've made me so proud these past few weeks and I trust I trust them I trust them I trust that they're not going to drop the baton on this it's at what cost like what do, do they actually have the power to for that for this to shift into tangible change um but I don't think I know in fact not even I don't think I know they're not going to drop the baton mm. but yeah ma'am well great thank you guys for listening as always and fuck Boris Johnson as well <laughs> but yeah thanks for listening guys <laughs> I, I, I can't come here and die I can't come here and live got all this shit on my mind like what the fuck I'm a day work ain't paid me in time my bed just ripped in my mood no two just cut off my life